Hello, and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. We are now in week 11 of our series, The Life of Jesus, and this week our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, will deliver a message about what it means to be a disciple for Christ. You can follow along with this message in Matthew 10, 1 through 42, Mark 6, 7 through 13, and Luke 9, 1 through 6. You can also find our weekly message outline and other resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood Church app. That's the question, isn't it? Do our lives give God glory? Thank you, thank you. We continue our series, The Life of Jesus. Today's message is called Learners. How many of us are learners? Take out your message guide. The outlines of the first two panels. There's a theme verse there. This is taken from Matthew 28, which is not out of reading 83. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. What's that called? The Great Commission. Who does it apply to? But only professional Christians, right? Only staff people? No, the Great Commission points out perhaps our primary responsibility as Christians to tell people the good news. To help them develop relationship with Jesus. To equip them to serve God. To carry out His work. Ephesians 4.12 Now this title might have been a little bit odd to you. But the word disciple, which is a Greek word, mathetes, could actually literally be, be translated learner or pupil or student. So if you say, I'm a disciple, I'll say, what are you learning? What kind of student are you? What is Jesus teaching you? And it's ongoing. You see what I'm saying? So to say I'm a disciple means I'm in relationship with Jesus, continually learning from him. That makes it sound different, doesn't it? Because we think a disciple is, oh, I got saved when I was eight. A disciple, and I'm going to pull out several characteristics. We have reading 83 coming this week. I'm not going to deal with the first part, which is really focused toward the specific assignment given to Jesus' disciples. I'm actually going to reflect more on the part that applies to us today. Because he spoke not only to the twelve, but he also spoke to the future all the way to us. So first, a disciple reflects Jesus' nature. Now we're going to go all the way to verse 24 on page 99. And this is out of Matthew 10. Right at the top there. A disciple is not above his teacher. Or a slave above his master. See, a disciple learns from his teacher. A slave does what for his master? He serves, he works, he obeys his master. That continues. It is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. See, the goal of discipleship, our goal of learning, 
is to become a copy of Jesus. To imitate, to emulate him in virtually every way. So we're called to become like Jesus, our teacher, in knowledge and wisdom, but also in nature and character. We're expected to submit to our Lord, who is our master, to please him with our lives. See, a good slave doesn't have to be told everything to do. A good slave or servant doesn't need to be corrected and instructed every day. You know why? Because a good servant, a good slave has conformed his or her behavior to the expectations of the master. You know, now in America we have this ugly history of slavery. But understand, we're talking about spiritual principles here. So try to separate that. And we're talking about a slave who loves the master and the master loves the slave or the servant. Do you understand? First John 2, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. In other words, we should copy him. You know, if you ever have a question, you think, what should I do here? That old, you know, those bracelets and that phrase, what would Jesus do, is really a good guideline. What would Jesus do? Would Jesus do this? Would Jesus say this? Would Jesus behave this way? Jesus is the model for our lives in every area. He's also the measure of our maturity. Now, if I said, are you spiritually mature? You might answer yes, no, but you're more likely would say what? How do I know? How do I know? Well, then I'd ask this question. How much like Jesus do you look? Do your attitudes and actions resemble his? Because, see, your maturity has nothing to do with whether you have mastered theology or memorized the Bible. It is unrelated to facts. It is only related to conformity to the character of Jesus Christ. So that's a good yardstick for every one of our lives, isn't it? Now the result of becoming like Christ is being treated like Him. We continue in 25. If they called the head of the household Beelzebul... How much more the members of his household. Jesus is the head, obviously. We are the members. Now, Beelzebul was a name that had been used by Jews as an insulting name for Satan. But it was literally a Canaanite god, God, and and a pagan god, and it meant um, lord of the household. So Jesus is sort of doing a play on words by using Beelzebul, who's lord of the household. And then he says, well, if they're calling the head of the household, Satan, Beelzebul, don't you think they'll call the members of the household Satan as well? If Jesus is called Satan, disciples can expect to be called the devil. See, a true disciple really should not expect this world 
to live him, to love him or her, or even to treat you fairly. See, we get all uppity, don't we? Well, I'm not being treated fairly. Fairly. Well, who told you you could expect that? Maybe you could say as an American citizen, sure, but not as a child of God. Look at this verse, John 15. If the world hates you, remember it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you're no longer part of this world. And I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. So in other words, if you have no hassles at all, you might be too much in this world. Why would anybody speak negatively of you if they can't tell any difference at all? There's no distinction between you and the rest of the world. You know, let's just look at it objectively. On TV and in movies, Christians are typically made fun of and ridiculed. They're portrayed as judgmental, narrow, extreme, fanatical, intolerant. Now, I'll say, I don't know why it's happening, but right now, there, there are some good quality movies that are Christian. Historically, a lot of the Christian movies were just real corny and real shallow. But, you know, the young Messiah is good. Now, it's not true biblically, but it's good reflectively. I, Leanne and I saw The Shack on Friday. You know, and I know some of y'all are, get yourself in a wad, but... Uh, God is an African-American female? Well, let me, let me go ahead and destroy your theology. God is masculine in reference, but God is the whole of personality, male and female. So it, it isn't a treatment of systematic theology, but if you have a hard time personalizing God, if you have difficulty understanding the compassion of God, particularly when you're in pain, if God is an authoritarian to you, I implore you, see that movie and let it just speak to your spirit. Don't you write me emails about systematic theology. You understand? But here's the question on this point. Are you being mistreated by anybody in any way because you reflect Jesus' nature? You won't be if you fit in. But if your life is different, even in some moral area, you will receive because you're, you're convicting people. They don't like being convicted. A disciple rejects fearful living. When Jesus sent his disciples out to reach the world, he said there at verse 16 on the, on the left, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Now his, gui his guidance there is be shrewd as serpents, harmless as doves. That's one, you know, there's another one. If y'all like ink, tattoo that one on. Shrewd as serpent or wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. 
But his point is they would face opposition and we will too. If you are afraid what people will think or say to you or how they will respond, you will be very hesitant to ever share the good news, but you'll be hesitant even to admit you're a believer. How many people have you invited to church this year? If you say no one, I say you're cloaked in fear. How many people have you told your story, your spiritual story to? Doesn't have to be the whole recitation, but just some bit. God lifted me out of this addiction. God lifted me out of despair. But you know what we do? We, we edit the name God and Jesus out of a line we would ordinarily say. Don't, don't we? You're afraid. You fear rejection. Now, I'm not saying we should pick fights. Few of us enjoy conflict. Notice I said few of us. Some of you like it, but that's, that's out of an unhealthy place. That's something else. You need some counseling. Few of us enjoy rejection from people. You see what I'm saying? But if avoiding uncomfortable situations becomes your overwhelming concern, you will not be an ambassador for Christ. You will not carry out Christ's great commission. If, you, if when you're talking and, and you're, you would normally say, well, you know, Christ really helped me in this, but you find yourself hitting the brake, well, I, I got some help in that. If you're always editing your sentences to avoid references to who should be an ever-present reality in your life, you're afraid. The moral climate of our culture, in my opinion, is at least in part attributable to our reluctance to state God's standards on moral matters. Our unwillingness to confront sinful behavior with God's standards. We've been far too silent. I don't mean angry and mean. That, remember, it's what, how Jesus was. But you know what? Isn't it interesting how we're being shouted down that a woman has a right to do whatever she wants with her body and nobody's saying that child is knitted in the mother's womb by the hand of God. Even if it's not conceived in, in the best circumstances. You see what I'm saying? You say that gently. You say that lovingly. Not this, this picketing, shouting, angry. But you know what? We've been far too silent. Jesus encourages us three times in this passage to not be afraid of people. The first reason is to, to reject fear is because God will vindicate our words and actions if we speak and act for him. Back to 26. 
which is the start of that paragraph in the middle under the heading fear God. Therefore, don't be afraid of them. Since there's nothing covered that won't be uncovered, nothing hidden that won't be made known. Don't you think we forget God's watching? Don't you think we do? Because think of the, the, the awful things we've witnessed. Unfortunately, some of the things we've even participated in, perhaps. But God knows everything said and everything done by every person. And see, not only does God watch, God knows the motivations within. And one day, it'll all be exposed. You know, do we stand in a long line? I mean, boy, if you think traffic in Atlanta's bad now, imagine that. I don't know. You know what I really think? Again, who thinks this? Which means, congratulations. Which means you get to do what with it? You can leave it alone. I think rather than standing in line and God telling us each and everything, I think there's instant awareness. This world makes sin look good and liberating, doesn't it? You know, it used to be that, and I'm, I know I'm 100 years old, but you, you, you have an attraction, a, a boy had an attraction to a girl, he touched her hand. Maybe he got so bold as to kiss her. Today, what's the same level? Someone might like somebody a little bit. What is it? They have sex. It's equated with just that first touch of 30 years ago. You see how degraded our culture is. But it also, not only is it degraded, look how it's devalued important spiritual, emotional dimensions of relationship and it's made them shallow and casual. So where does the relationship go to be deep? You see what I'm saying? Our world makes sin look good and liberating. Even morally, immorality is morally superior. And it makes righteousness look evil, prudish, ignorant, and at the very least naive. Do you think I'm overstating this? Well, whose fault is it? It's ours. It's ours. It's ours. Because we were too silent. Somebody might think badly of me. Somebody might think I'm sort of ignorant or backward. That's right. I'm ignorant and I'm backward. But I know God. And God will one day set the record straight by making it very clear what is right and what is wrong. What is true and what is false. What is good and what is evil. There won't be any debates anymore. And we need to be very concerned about what God thinks about our lives. And not concerned at all with what this world thinks about us. Again, I'm not talking about 
you being nasty and ugly and arrogant and saying it's because I'm a Christian. No, that doesn't have anything to do with being a Christian. If you're living like Christ, behaving like Christ and receiving that, then it has to do with being a Christian. See the difference? Our assignment is to learn God's word. Remember, that's what disciple means, right? And then spread what you learn. Verse 27. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the housetops. You know what that means? It means what you learn from God when you're alone and studying or reading his word. Perhaps you're laying in your bed and it is dark and you're meditating on, on what he's taught you today. And that whisper, you know what that whisper is? I'll say it again. That's the Holy Spirit speaking a truth deeply into your soul. You know what I'm talking about? Kimberly, you know what I'm talking about here? The Spirit is speaking something in a whisper. See, the Spirit doesn't come in an attack. Even when He convicts us of sin, He comes gently. You got this bill back there? Can y'all hear back there in the corner? But then, what He whispers in your ear, what He teaches you as you lie in your bed in the dark, what he says to you as you read his word and you think about it, what are you to do with it? What does it say? Come on, Randy, you got your word. What, is it, what does it say? Tell it. It says, speak it from the housetops. Does that sound timid to you? Why are we so timid? Speak it publicly. Make what God makes known to you, he doesn't intend for you to hide. He intends for you to share. So, you're learners, right? Amber, what'd you learn this week that you need to share? You see my point? What'd you learn this week that needs to be shared? Because if you're a disciple, that means you're a, what? You're a learner. You're a learner. So we must repeat what we learn from Jesus because this world is in desperate need of truth. Can y'all tell now that the lies are winning in this world? Is that right? Just shouting angrily is, is winning in this world. But truth never has to be shouted. Truth can be spoken softly because it carries its own weight. But we must communicate these difficult truths about sin and obedience, not as an assault, as a healing word. We must never be arrogant or cruel when telling God's truth, but we must share the whole gospel which includes the reason that you need salvation. 
See what I'm saying? Salvation, it means delivering us from something bad. We're headed for condemnation. Salvation means I've got spared and rescued out of the path I was headed already on. You see the difference? We're embarrassed to say that about God. We're sort of embarrassed by God. Well, no, I mean, he, no, he would never do that. Because we just think he's an old grandpa rocking in a chair. He's not. He's not. We do people the greatest honor we can do them when we trust them enough to tell them the truth. And then he goes on. Don't fear those who kill the body but not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Who can do that? Who? Yeah, Satan can't kill your body and soul. He might can kill your body. I don't, I don't know. He, he can certainly injure you, wound you, give you disease. We've seen that in the scripture. But Now, the first fear, though, is about terror. Don't fear those who kill the body. That's about just, just fright and terror. The second fear is different. The second fear isn't fright and terror over God. The second fear is awe and reverence. Now, I know this is a hard truth. I don't mean to, I'll put it out there simply, but I don't think it's a simple truth. People can only do temporary harm to us. I don't think that's a simple truth. You know, oh, we don't care if we die. No, we have a, a natural fear of death. But still, the scripture is true. People can only do temporary harm to us. They can kill our bodies. They cannot touch our souls, which exist eternally. See, in America, although we're beginning to see some forms of it now, bless you, but we can kind of feel like persecution doesn't really happen, right? We see some things, some people that are Christian and are having businesses burnt and stuff in different cities but because of positions they take, but the Vatican reported that there are 100,000 people martyred annually for their faith. Several other sources state 200 million people are being persecuted. That's decreasing in communist countries, but it's increasing rapidly in Islamist countries. It also occurs uh, by Hindus, particularly in India. In fact, there are more people martyred in the 20th century than in all other centuries combined. See, we're unaware, aren't we? It's a suffering world. Find a Syrian Christian and say, do y'all ever suffer? Talk to Praveen in India. Do you ever fear for your life? 
They've had several pastors killed. In Africa, some of the people we've supported been, have been beaten and murdered. These are people that we know. At least they work with, with people we know. With Dennis Agri in Liberia, with, with uh, Praveen in India. And people they work with have been murdered, have been beaten, have been... But see, here's the hope, and I do understand the hesitation, but here's the hope that even though our physical bodies can be killed, they will one day become imperishable in resurrected form. See, here's the thing. We live so human, so connected to this world that we just sort of hope there's a heaven and we have a way in there. But it's not a reality. But if you read the story of martyrs, when they faced their death, heaven had to be a reality. And in many different instances, they sang hymns as they were killed. Is heaven that real to you? Well, how do I know? Well, how much do you complain about this world? Perhaps we will suffer mistreatment, rejection, even persecution, but we can withstand it knowing we are greatly valued by God. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? This is actually the smallest... Um, Jewish coin, and a Sarian, it was one-sixteenth of a denarius. And a denarius was, was the, um, the pay that a laborer made for one day's work. So this is less than an hour's pay, which, you know, now is, I don't know, five bucks. What is it? Seven bucks? Five bucks? I don't know. I'm so old, I remember when it was $1.60. <laughs> I got a big raise because it went to $1.90. Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. There's another view of that falls to the ground. The Greek might actually mean hop. Yet a sparrow doesn't even hop apart from the knowledge of the father. It may mean falls and dies. Even the hairs of your head have all been counted. Michael, how many hairs on your head? Do you know that the average person has 100, what do y'all know? 140,000 hairs. I have half that. Michael has a quarter of that. But God has counted even mine, even yours, Michael, even yours, and it's even hard to find yours. So you don't have to be afraid. If he cares enough to know how many strands of hair are on your head, he knows every issue on your mind, every concern in your heart. And you are worth more than many sparrows. Nobody cares about me. God does. 
I don't have any friends. You have Christ. Does fear of people's responses limit your expression of faith? Here's another one to memorize. Proverbs. The fear of man is a snare, but the one who trusts in the Lord is protected. And here's the thing. If you can reject fear, you'll be free to influence people. You know what? When I invite somebody to church or I speak a word, you know, about the Lord, I don't know that I've ever had a very hostile response. I've had some indifferent responses. But I've mostly had people who, who appreciated that I cared enough to say something to them. Encouraging or comforting or invited them somewhere, whether they show up or not. A disciple also represents Jesus publicly. Verse 32. Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before men... I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I'll deny him before my Father in heaven. A true disciple openly acknowledges. It says before men, not in your heart. You know, you hear people say, well, faith is a private matter. Not according to this. Faith is a transformational matter. It can't be cloaked. It's a love relationship, you see. People can watch and they'll know whether I love my wife or I don't love my wife. Something, it can't be hidden. And a true disciple openly acknowledges or confesses Christ before this world. Now, acknowledge doesn't just mean admit the facts. My goodness, we've mistaught the gospel. If you just say, oh, I believe Jesus is the Savior. I believe Jesus is the Son. That's, that's only the starting point. Demons do that. Demons believe that Christ is God and they shudder. They're scared to death. James 2.19. Literally what it means in the Greek is say the same thing. In other words, to agree with Jesus, to agree with your life as a promise to God before people. It's like saying, here I stand. I will do no other. A person's willingness to admit and declare faith in Jesus publicly, this verse says, determines Jesus' willingness to claim that person before his father. That's, that's a daunting statement, isn't it? If you will not confess me before men, I will not confess you before my father. Isn't that what it says? I didn't misread it, did I? You see, I think there will be a way in which we do face judgment. Will we be in a line? Will it happen in an instant? All at the same time? I don't know. But I believe there's a way in which Jesus will say, that one's mine. Oh no, I died for this one. This one here belongs to me. But may also say, this one gave some lip service, but there was no acknowledgement from that one. It 
It's not sufficient for salvation to say Jesus is Lord and Savior. We must say and mean Jesus is my Lord and therefore my Savior. And Lord means master, ruler. See, believers today, especially in our culture, are silenced by much less than persecution. Simple embarrassment, social discomfort is enough to suppress almost any admission of faith in Jesus for many people. Does anyone know you're a believer? Do the people you work with know you're a Christian? Do they see a level of morality in you? Not because you're a prude, but because you're a servant of God. See the difference? Now, becoming open in your faith might alienate you even from your own family. Jesus knew that. Look what he said here. You know, we sometimes think of this little weak feet, Jesus. I don't see it in this scripture. That's why we're doing this life of Jesus because I think there's a lot of theology that we sort of throw around and doesn't have anything to do with the Bible. There's a lot of our images and impressions of Jesus that aren't true of him in any way. So how do we know who he is? We have to read it. We have to study it. We have to be told in the dark. Verse 34. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. That's a quote from Micah 7, 6. Jesus' gospel brings peace between God and believers. But it can cause conflict with anyone who rejects the good news. Sometimes a person in one family becoming a Christian leads to all the other members of the family becoming a Christian as well. But not always. So see, we, we must follow Christ regardless of its effect on our other relationships. The person who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The person who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Doesn't mean to disrespect, to reject, to mistreat unbelieving friends or family members. But it does mean confess Christ and know there could be a price to pay. See, loving ourselves, loving our friends, loving our family members, in fact, loving the life that we have set up for ourselves is often the greatest hindrance to pursuing relationship with Jesus. But Jesus calls us to total self-denial which includes even a willingness to lose our lives for his sake. Verse 38, and whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me isn't worthy of me. See, these disciples, what the, what the Romans would do is if, if someone committed a crime, particularly insurrection against the Romans, they would crucify the person and put them on a cross beside the road. And there, there had been thousands of men crucified and hung by the side of the road. 
just as a warning, don't you dare. So these disciples knew Jesus meant a willingness to lose their own life. So taking up our cross doesn't mean that I'm suffering in, in some way. Doesn't mean I have a bad boss. Doesn't, you know what I'm saying? It doesn't mean that. It means dying to self-interest, comfort, convenience, ambition, desire for popularity, prosperity, or even a preoccupation with personal matters to live for Christ. Matthew 10, 39 says, anyone finding, look at this. Finding, finding actually means clinging to. His life will lose it. And anyone losing his life because of me will find it, will receive it. Earthly life is temporary. And if we're trying to cling on to it, if we want to grab all the gusto, the gusto turns to dust. And so we're holding on to something we cannot possibly keep and perhaps forfeiting something we cannot lose. Jim Elliott said something similar to that. Philippians 1.21, Paul put it this way. For me, living is Christ, dying is gain. Is your representation of Jesus the most important part of your life? A disciple also receives eternal reward. Now, this characteristic of discipleship isn't experienced in this life. I mean, the the anticipation of it might, but it's primarily reserved for the next life, for heaven. But it should guide us in the way we live in this life. Those who welcome you, the one who welcomes you welcomes me because we represent him. And the one who welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. You can't separate belief in God. Some people say, I believe in God, but they don't really want to get specific about Jesus. They're indivisible. They're, you, you can't have one without the other. If you, if you try to separate them, you actually have neither. Anyone who welcomes a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. So not only is the prophet rewarded, you receiving the prophet are rewarded. And anyone who welcomes a righteous person because he's righteous will receive a righteous person's reward. Again, both are rewarded. See, God rewards every person who receives his people because they're his people. And then he continues. And whoever gives just a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, these are believers who are They seem insignificant. They seem unimportant. You know, we love Christian celebrities, but what about the person that's a little bit awkward socially, doesn't have any status? You see what I'm saying? I don't, this this Christian celebrity biz, I don't get. But if you receive one of these little ones because he's a disciple, I, I assure you, he will never lose his reward. Any surface or offered to any of Jesus' followers for his sake amounts to service of him and it will be rewarded. So here's a question. 
Are you generous? Are you hospitable? Do you receive other Christians? There might be somebody that you know is a Christian at work, but that is a, she is an awkward woman. So I'm going to act like I don't know her in the break room. Might be as simple as that. Could be caring for someone in a benevolence way. Could be repairing the front porch of a, an elderly person who can't do the work himself or herself. It's helping the homeless. It's assisting the handicapped. It's extending assistance in India and in Africa and other parts of the world. God knows. And he'll reward all of these efforts. I want you to reflect on your relationship with Jesus. Just close your eyes a second. Ask, your, ask, ask him whether you're a learner. Ask him, am I a follower? And pay attention to his answer as we worship. You know, sometimes you say, well, why do you discourage us clapping? You know what? I want to encourage us to stay in the moment. If God's speaking to you, applause closes it off. It distracts us from God's voice. So stay in that moment. Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man is going to come. And he's coming with angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Do you have that power that you just heard in the song? Apply that power. Change your life. Use this life to accumulate reward in the next. There may be some changes that are necessary in our lives. We're so focused on accumulating, accumulating, accumulating. But will you have a reward awaiting you in heaven? Here's a step to take, an easy one. Easter, there's probably less resistance to going to church at Easter than any other time. Ask someone who you know does not go to church. Not people from other churches. There, there's nothing honorable about that, recruiting people away. Find someone, even someone who says they're a Christian, haven't been in a church in years. Gently humbly invite them to accompany you and I'll promise you you'll be rewarded Father how we thank you that you're aware of us that you love us that you care about everything that concerns us and Lord you even reward us when we just offer service to the one who served us most. In Christ's name, amen. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. If you have questions about this message or you would like to request prayer, we encourage you to visit our website at brookwoodchurch.org forward slash get help. You can also find our message resources on our website or on our app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.